Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I'm Jan Miller, the executive editor of Better Homes and Gardens, 17th edition of the new cookbook. I don't think there's another cookbook that's a good friend in the kitchen, like the Better Homes and Gardens cookbook. They're all more like just a collection of recipes. With the iconic red and white plaid, you don't have to put a title on the cover of that cookbook. People already know. Was the cover always red and white plaid? No, it wasn't. In fact, the very first book that um, was done in 1930 was sort of a greenish and um, had had a black square on it. It was very, not very cookbook looking. Um, And it started as a premium for the magazine. So if you um, ordered a subscription of the magazine, then you got this wonderful little collection of recipes from the Better Homes and Gardens Tasting Test Kitchen. Was it a pamphlet or was it a regular size? It it actually, at that they did do a quick little bind-up of just a few recipes that was a pamphlet that you could get for like 10 cents. And then it did grow. I think they had great response from that. So the very first book that they did was, like I said, in 1930, and it was a ring bound right away. Um, and it was a full, you know, it was a full size book. And I, it's interesting. I, I love the editor's um, letter from that first book because she's really talking to um, the women, the woman of the home. I mean, she's saying you are an efficient home business woman. And so the reason that we uh, created this book in this format is if you stand that book up on its spine and you see all the tabbed uh, chapter openers, those little tabs, then that was like their filing cabinet. And so they encouraged women to punch holes in other recipes and to add to this book. And that was the reason or initially for the, the ring bound. Oh, I thought it was so it would lay flat on your counter. It absolutely did that as well. And that was the other huh. reason that women loved it. But it was twofold. It really was. They wanted it to be very functional. And, and honestly, as the years went on and the book just gained popularity, the magazine did start to um, have little um, perforated lines to indicate that you should cut your recipes out of your magazine and punch them and put them in your cookbook. I love the tab dividers. How come you got rid of those? Well, this 17th edition really took an entirely right turn. Every year, I mean, I think what people maybe don't think about this book is every time we redo a new edition, we're trying to make sure that we're speaking to the home cook today. And it's a book that you receive maybe when you have life change, maybe, or you're, you're getting your first home, you're leaving the house, you know, just to get your own first apartment. I mean, there's a lot of times this is definitely a gift purchase. And so we know that oftentimes it's a younger cook um, who uses this book. So we, we do a lot of research and uh, talking to young cooks of the, you know, day as we're trying to update the edition. And I had so much feedback from some of the um, folks that I did, you know, we did, we do informal, and then we also do a very formal um, research as well. So it's, you, you get quantifiable 
research, but I also love the gut and I love research that you get. And I love just talking to other people as well. Um, but they really wanted a book that felt like they could leave it on their counter that would really line up nicely with all their other cookbooks on their shelf. And um, the format just started to, you know, take on a life of its own. They wanted this heavy book that felt a little bit more modern. And so that was the reason for going to the hardcover this year as opposed to the ring binding. In the 17th edition, you've concentrated on what we're eating today. What are some of the modern trends that are included? Oh, my goodness. We really um, picked up on there's a lot of bowls. You know, we're eating so many things in a bowl. There's grain bowls. There's noodle bowls. There's a smoothie bowl. Um, We've included some of the boards. You know, my Instagram is so full of um, all the the boards, food on a board. And so we did a few of those. a lot are I would say the section that probably got the most love and the most updating was our uh, meatless section. I mean, there's so many great things out there, not just plant-based, but some of the other alternatives for protein. And so that just got an overhaul and a refresh. Um, uh, what else? Oh, for the first time, we we also included fermenting in this book. And so how to make kombucha and kimchi. And um, there's a really yummy fermented whole grain mustard in the book. So um, those are the biggies. I would say also glo- more global flavors. You know, we're all the, the big three, um, the Latin flavors and Asian flavors and Italian flavors, those feel so assimilated into our, you know, regular eating, but more Middle Eastern flavors and, um, you know, some Moroccan Indian influences now are starting to creep into the book, which is how it should be. We really have a, a greater demand for more interesting flavors as we're eating out, too. So people are wanting to definitely bring those into their home. This has been the go-to cookbook for more than 80 years. And a crazy fact is that the one millionth copy of the new cookbook was sold in 1938. That boggles my mind. Isn't that amazing? That's I mean, crazy. I think we're somewhere in the 37 to 38 million now. But it, it just, the, I just think the whole, um, just every bit of it, it started like you said at the the start of this podcast, it it really has a, an emotional tie to it. You know, mothers love this. They write in the pages. They send it. They pass it on to their daughters or grandmothers to their daughters, on to their granddaughters. There's just so much love that is associated with the book that it just kept the it just kept it going. And I, I mean, we get letters even from people that you know if they've been in. I don't care if it's been the hurricanes or, you know, just a personal loss of the book. So many people want their edition replaced and because there is that tie. So it, it's, it's got a great story and a great history. One thing that I read was Better Homes and Gardens really pioneered exact measurements. None of the little bit of this or a little bit of that or <laughs> yeah. bake until done. I love that one. Bake until done. Okay. Was yes. this well, because housewives were fed up with vague measurements? I think housewives, you know, once again, they were really trying to speak to the 
the woman who was um, in charge of her house. I mean, this was part of her just being on top of things. And so, yes, exact measurements were so important to help make sure that she didn't have any more, you know, fails. Because I will tell you, though, still in the first edition, there is a lot of bake until done. And, and there was a level of knowledge that they just that the home cook just knew then. And, you know, we, we can't say that now. We can't say, no. uh-uh. you, know, you have to practically <laughs> say, take it out of the oven, put it on the counter, take the lid off. Take Turn the your timer on. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's so much now that we have to tell. Um, but exact measurements, and they, they did speak to that in that um, first editor letter too, saying, you know, this is, you know, you can follow directions for mixing and handling and time and temperature, and we will also give you all exact measurements. And that was part of, you know, the test kitchen that started that. And it, they, the first, um, well, it used to be called the Better Homes and Gardens Tasting Test Kitchen, and uh, that that drove a lot of that language in the in the book. Let's go over some highlights of the different eras. Okay. Um, what was the original publishing date of the very first cookbook? 1930. And then first in the 40s during the wartime era, there was rationing. How was this dealt with in the cookbook? You know, they. it's interesting. Um, as I can look through the collection of the books, you can see where they did different printings of the editions. Even, you know, they would keep the guts of the book the same, but then they would add in certain things. And I, some of them were free little um, standing pamphlets that were tucked in. Um, and so you could see where they did things on uh, Victory Gardens and, you know, at the end of the war and um, some rationing pamphlets you know, throughout. So I would say all of the recipes were always very um, efficient and uh, used ingredients that were appropriate for the day. And so you see that reflected in just the general collection in the books back in that day. You know, there's a lot of dates. There's a lot of nut breads in the in the dessert times. You can see just a very practical, there's a very practical nature about the um, meat recipes. Nothing, you know, fancier over the top. And you start to then see some of that change as you get into the 50s. Um, and what I loved about the 50s, you know, you start that was like the backyard, you know, we started to add grilling in 1950s because that started the backyard barbecue. So it is fun to flip through all of the editions and see it's a, definitely a reflection of what was happening in our homes. In fact, during the 50s, Better Homes and Gardens coined the term tossed salad. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it's funny, we're, we we talk about that, and um, I will be honest with you, I'm not sure we have had good luck going back to um, get the full story on the background of that. We see it in our pubs, but I wish there was more detail there, and there just hasn't been. <laughs> I wish I could find it. On to the 60s, where housewives started getting interested in foreign food and gourmet meals. Also, the cook at the table phase and fondue were two biggies. Describe oh the gosh. at the table phase. At the table, that was a big deal. And 
the other thing that I love about this at the table phase is it's reflected in the pages of some of those cookbooks. And the the tables are so done, you know, with the different serving pieces. I, I mean, yes, fondue, you know what you're expecting with the forks and the trays of the things to dip and everybody is around the table. But other, um, I'm trying to think of what examples of some of the food, but it just is amazing at the level of serving pieces at and the themes that we started to see, I think that's when some of that became, you know, very prominent in our um, quote-unquote entertaining is that you saw tropical themes, you saw um, Spanish themes. We just, it, it's very fun. And some of the photos I feel like look like illustrations from that time period. And I just love them. I think of Doris Day when I think of that, <laughs> that time. <laughs> love that, me too. <laughs> I love her. So in the 70s, women started going to work because of inflation. So the cookbook introduced microwave meals. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, that was the big deal. You know, that appliance was huge. And so women wanted to know how to use it. And I think they, when microwaves came into our world, they just thought that we were going to use that as our meal prep for the entire meal. And and so they needed more guidance on how to not ruin a good piece of meat if you were going to do it in the microwave. So the testing in our test kitchen really was pretty extensive then in that you had to have a variety of microwaves, a variety of um, that had different watt levels so that you could give your home cook time ranges depending on what the wattage of their microwave was. Um, And so baking was a big deal to try to, you know, there were so many things that came out to help people try to brown their baked goods in the microwave. There was a lot of testing around that. Um, Just a lot of guidance was required because, you know, there's good reason why now we just use our microwaves to pop popcorn and boil water and maybe bake a baked potato. I mean, <laughs> totally. potato because it just was not <laughs> the best food. And they, they're, again, so much help needed to navigate that. And we did whole cookbooks on that as well. So, yes, certainly it was part of the new cookbook. Yeah. I remember in the 70s when my mom divorced my dad. Finally. And my dad had this bachelor pad and he had this oh. brand new white microwave and I was mesmerized <laughs> by it. And he was like, Susie, how do, how do I work this? I was like, I don't know. We didn't even know how to work it. <laughs> oh, but it was days. the rage and everyone had it one. It was. Yeah. <laughs> so on to the 80s, there was increased interest in low-fat meals and nutrition information oh. was added. And yeah. also my favorite table setting information was dropped. How come? Oh my gosh. You know what? You'll be happy to know that 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 was added back in not not long after that. And and we did include it in the new edition, too, because so many people want to know how to set their table. It's important. It is. It is. The 80s 80s were, we definitely felt like we needed to look at our cholesterol and our sodium and um, fat. You know, fat was a big the big bad nutrient, um, and so we people wanted to know what was in their food. And I would say, you know, the recipes weren't severely restricting 
um, of those nutrients, but I will t- as it as time went on, they they got more so. Um, I would say in our oh my gosh, by 1996, that addition was very helpful, and there was a section on health, um, and the recipes were. Um, Oh, my gosh. Well, I worked on the 12th edition as a very young editor here at Better Homes and Gardens, and so that was the edition that followed right after that 96th edition. And I remember us all sitting around taste panels saying, oh, my gosh, we've got to put the flavor back in some of these recipes. You know, we've got to, <laughs> totally. Where is the butter? Where's the salt? Where's the pepper? We're going to be okay here. we got to do something. And so um, we, <laughs> I would say that was the mark of just sort of walking away from that a little bit. But but not entirely because we always, you know, to eat a healthful um, meal makes everyone feel good. You know, moms feel good about putting wholesome nutri- nutritional food on the table. And there's so many um, ways to accomplish that. And so I think, you know, through through the years, even from that point when I kid about adding more flavor, we try to be very conscious about the, you know, good, wholesome food and know that there are times that we want to splurge too. And so there's certainly a lot of splurge recipes in the book as well. So the 90s, you added preparation times to keep up with the fast-paced lifestyle. How did you figure out you needed to add that? You know, it's funny. We also added numbered steps for recipes. You just don't think about those things um, until you start to compare but I think we just knew, um, and Meredith, we've always done a lot of research and known, you know, we've had a lot of conversations with our readers over the years, and that just became so important to them. They, There was only so much time that they felt like they wanted to spend in their kitchen on a weekday, uh, especially as both parents were cooking, you know, were working. And it, it got to the point where, we knew that they want that's sort of how they started to filter some of their recipes of what they were willing to cook through the week. Um, and so it, it needed to be included and it needed to be at the top of the recipe so that they could see it and use it as a, mm, I'm not going to do that one tonight, but maybe that's a weekend recipe. Now, for the first time, the 17th edition has a photo with every recipe and yeah. helpful guidance. Talk a little bit about that. We knew, you know, I mean, think about how our world has changed just in terms of how we um, look at recipes. There's so much we admittedly do a lot online. Um, Instagram is, you know, such a visual, you know, social media outlet that we knew that the formatting from the past years, you know, home cooks when they had more skill as well, they didn't necessarily need a photo of a finished food, and they they certainly didn't need as much um, step-by-step photography. And so as the years have gone on, we just know that step-by-step photography was needed in places where you you just needed an extra helping hand. Um, And so there are so many more um, how-to images that have language about how to work through that step if it's a really a key step. We, you know, we we tried not to put things in that were how-to that just were, you know, how-to images to fill a page because we wanted people to see what they really needed to see when they needed to see it. Um, 
but we did commit to a recipe, a finished food recipe, um, image with every recipe, and that that is a no easy task in this book. I can't um, imagine how long did it take to put this book together with all of that. <laughs> it's this is um, it's really is a year of of solid work, and I know that our you know edit team spent probably more days down in our studio than they did at their desk. So it was a it was. Was a process, <laughs> and but you know it's a it's an awesome process because you know you you it's another chance to look at the recipe and let because we test it up in our test kitchen, and then um, the editors that are working on the project they also are down on the photo shoot too, and so it's kind of fun to see. Um, to get the reviews even from the studio, the studio staff, because we all tasted it, tasted things at the taste panel. We knew that some of the things that we loved that were some favorites, and um, it's good to hear all the the love come back upstairs too when they're eating. Because we prepare the food like it is written for camera. You know, we do some things like maybe take back the amount of sauce so you can see through, so that you see ingredients very well. But I mean, for the most part, our food stylists are preparing the food according to the recipe. So you work out of an incredible test kitchen in Des Moines, Iowa. Give us a little background on the test kitchen, or as they used to call it, the taste testing kitchen. Yes. Well, that um, that really uh, um, has evolved as well. But that we, I believe that we are the first um, test kitchen of our of this you know level and the and the length of longevity I would say maybe we are the longest living um, test kitchen, but that started as just a way to give you know another stamp of of endorsement. They, I think women again were needing a little bit more guidance and they wanted to make sure that they knew um, that they could trust a recipe and so. It's funny, some of the first images from our test kitchen were illustrated. I mean, back in 1926, I think, the first images that they put in the um, magazine, the printed magazine, to show off the test kitchen, they were they were illustrated. And um, it was just a small little crew of maybe three to four home economists. But, you know, they worked so hard, those women. And um, they're... If our Meredith campus here in Des Moines, it, there's two buildings, and the older building originally housed the test kitchen, and they would talk about how, you know, some of the executives would smell the, you know, what was happening down the test kitchen and take a wander down their way. And there's so many wonderful little stories, but it it has of course evolved and and grown, and now is um, there's eight kitchens um, for. I think we have six full-time home economists, and they all test about five recipes a day. Um, we have people who shop so that we, you know, time isn't taken up by them being out and about shopping, and they can produce, you know, test more recipes. Um, we have a multiple array of appliances that you know, the home cook would have in their own home so that we know that it's, we're not testing on anything that's too high end or um, not going to be a, a exact, uh, what I want to say, it's not going to be a similar experience to the home cook. It has to be that, that we're using appliances that they would use um, and brands of um, 
pretty much everything. I mean, just, and I, I love that we're in Des Moines, Iowa, because I think even when we're testing recipes for ingredients, we're a good example of um, what you can find uh, across the U.S. in terms of ingredients. So it's it's a key. Oh, my gosh, that kitchen is a key to our success here, definitely. And we couldn't do this book without them, for sure. If you're including classic recipes in cookbooks, do you still have to run through those in the test kitchen? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, because it's funny how, you know, our expectations maybe change of what that should be. Um, so nothing is, I guess, assume that it's going to be good enough for that new addition. There's times where we have put um, just a good old basic chocolate cake. I mean, there was one day we had four chocolate cakes side by side because I don't think you really sometimes know the nuances of the difference between a recipe until you taste them side by side. So um, we did quite a, a testing to make sure that we had the best chocolate cake. It was not painful to do, but it was. Um, it, it's just what makes the book um, relevant every year. I mean, the best pumpkin pie. Um, we've sometimes messed with our chocolate chip cookie formula, um, to, even to help with longer storage. So there's, there's things that um, I think every classic recipe is probably up for a, a scrutinization every time we do a new addition. Have you seen on Etsy where people are patching and renovating their five-ring binder Better Homes and Gardens cookbook <laughs> to make journals? Oh, my gosh, I haven't. Oh, but my I goodness. I went down the rabbit hole with that the other day on Pinterest. It's darling. It's so cute. You've got to look it up. Oh, my gosh, I will. Now to my segment called My Last Meal. What would you have for your last supper? Oh, my goodness. I think um, we did. This is going to sound crazy. No, it's not. Maybe <laughs> it might. <laughs> we did. We did this incre- incredible fatouche salad. Does that sound nuts? It sounds nuts, maybe. I, I just, there's something about the fresh and the, oh my God, I, I just love that thing. Um, Describe the fatouche salad. It was, let me find it for you. Well, it had, um, I think probably what gets me is, um, well, of course, it's like there's a little pita bread in it. And so it's like a, you know, twist on a panzanea, but um it's got a little pita bread in it, and then the, the dressing is olive oil and lemon juice and garlic. And we did include a little bit of sumac, which was really yummy because it kicked the lemon up a little bit. Um, and it had torn romaine and cucumbers and radish and green onions and then um, ricotta salada cheese. It was delicious. I don't know. I just love that. And then the herbs were mint and parsley, and I just I love that mint parsley thing. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but that was, that was delicious. And then I would end on like a double chocolate cake, because if you ever ask me, I'm always an eat dessert first kind of person. And there's, and I just could never turn down a great piece of chocolate cake, moist chocolate cake. So if that doesn't tell you, you can trust a chocolate cake in this book. (laughs) I don't know what does. (laughs) (laughs) Where can we find the Better Homes and Gardens cookbook on the web, and on social media. So if you just go to bht.com and 
search Red Plaid, um, there's, there's a link to purchase the cookbook. Otherwise, you know, it's available anywhere. This is our, this is our standard, anywhere quality books are sold. So you should find it on um, Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, at uh, Costco, and, you know, the big box stores, I think, and Walmart. I think everybody's carrying it this holiday. Who knew a cookbook born in the lean and difficult years of the Depression would become America's favorite cookbook? Thank you, Jan, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you for having me. I so enjoyed the conversation. Follow Susie Chase on Instagram at Cookery by the Book and subscribe at cookerybythebook.com or in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book podcast the only podcast devoted to cookbooks since 2015.